0: And welcome to Fortune's Wheelhouse, a podcast about esoterics and the tarot. I'm Susie Chang, and my co-host is Mel Moline. The first 78 episodes of Fortune's Wheelhouse offer a card-by-card breakdown of occult correspondences and symbolism in the tarot. If you're a new listener, you may want to start there. In this season, we've been leveling up and examining each correspondence system on its own. First, we looked at the seven traditional planets in tarot. Then we looked at the numbers one through 10 in tarot, each of the 12 signs of the zodiac in tarot. This episode on the sign of Pisces will be the conclusion of that zodiacal series. Remember, in case you're diving in at random and one of us says something so esoteric, you just don't get it at all. We have lots of resources on Kabbalah, astrology, correspondences, and more on our website. That website is www.patreon.com slash fortunes wheelhouse. There are also a couple of other places where you can check in with us online. You can visit Mel at tabulamundi.com and you can visit me at tsusanchang.com. You can also join over 750 smart, nice, and most importantly, like-minded friends at the fortunes wheelhouse Academy group on Facebook. As you know, each episode we have a giveaway. Last episode, our prize was one of Mel's spectacular Pharos tarot decks, and our winner was Kristen in Texas. Congratulations, Kristen! If you're not Kristen, you can still get a hold of your own copy, and why wouldn't you, at Mel's website, www.tarocart.com. In this episode, we're talking about the sign of Pisces, the great cosmic sea, at the end of the universe. In honor of the fishes, we are offering our winner their choice of a face mask or a zip pouch made in a very special fabric designed by me. It's 100% cotton, and it features a hybrid fish mermaid spirit known as Amabie. Amabie comes to us from the pantheon of Japanese yokai animal spirits, and she's said to protect those who wear her image against plague. Needless to say, Amabie is experiencing a popular resurgence these days, and you can be a part of that. All face masks, sewn by me, are available at www.etsy.com slash shop slash tarotista. And, not for nuttin', they make great stocking stuffers. As always, all Fortune's Wheelhouse patrons are automatically entered in the drawing. If you're not a patron, and you would like to be, you can sign up at www.patreon.com slash fortunes wheelhouse. And now, here's this week's episode. Why go teaching fish to swim? Guys, we are here today to talk about the sign of Pisces, the last one in the Zodiac, and the last in our series of zodiacal signs in esoteric tarot. We will be talking about the major arcanum of the moon, which is associated with Pisces. We will be talking about the 8, 9, and 10 of cups, which are the three decans of Pisces, the lord of indolence or abandoned success the lord of happiness or material happiness and the lord of satiety or perfected success. We'll also be talking about the court card, the king or knight of cups, to whom belong the eight and nine of cups and the ten of cups, shadow Deccan belongs to the queen of wands whose primary decans are Aries, taking us right back to the beginning there. The polarity of Pisces is feminine or negative or nocturnal or yin. Its elemental triplicity is that of water. Its mode or quadruplicity is mutable. It is ruled by Jupiter traditionally, although the modern rulership has it as Neptune. And Venus is exalted in the sign. And finally, Mercury is both in detriment and fall in Pisces. Wah, wah. <laughs> Actually, I just want to say a couple of words about that Mercury in Pisces because it is the bane of my existence. You know, I do well with Mercury in every sign, but I have Mercury in Virgo. And when Mercury is retrograde in Pisces, it is a shit show for me. <laughs> I mean, and it always happens to be in March, usually. And if it yeah, goes retrograde.
1: That would be just because, you know, Mercury retrograde is kind of chaotic and all those things. And then add to that the slipperiness of Pisces. Oh, my God. It's
0: horrendous. I mean, it's like, it's not like I can't function. I do have Pisces rising, but it's like things just literally fall. I mean, that was, Mercury was in retrograde in Pisces when I was giving that talk at the Northwest. Terrorist symposium where my laptop just flew off the lectern <laughs> to the crowd. It's just really hard for me. I generally am okay with Mercury retrogrades, despite being a Mercurial native, but that's tough for me. I never look forward to it. Um, so Pisces, let's talk about Pisces, the fishes. Love the, the well fishes. at the world's end. <laughs> yes, that's right. That's right. Where did did we talk about that in the Hanged Man? I can't
1: remember. Uh no, that was in we, um in the Moon. One of the Pisces uh, cards, I don't remember which. Yeah. yeah. Oh, oh, I know. I do. Actually, I do remember which. It would would have had to be the last one. Ten of cups. The last decan, you know, the well at the world's end. Yes. Ten of cups. Yeah, we probably talked about it there.
0: Everybody in all traditions calls Pisces the fishes. That's what it means. It's the same in Hebrew, Greek, and Arabic, I believe. It's the two fishes that are connected by a... You know, in the glyph, it's a horizontal line, um, or a, or a chain, I guess you could say. The idea being that one fish can look in one direction and the other can look in the other.
1: Or one can swim upward and one can yeah. swim
0: down. One can stare at the sky and the other can be submerged. You know, and I think Pisces, does have that beautiful quality about it just because the benefics are in such good condition, both of them, you know, mm. in Pisces. It is the the side of Jupiter where I think we see Jupiter's mercy and compassion really come to the fore. Definitely. Uh, forgiveness. You know, we talked about how in Aquarius we have that quality of, you know, looking out over the endless sea. But In Pisces, we really dissolve into it.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Merge, transcend and merge. It's um, kind of a cliche, but astrologers often call Pisces the dustbin of the zodiac. Yeah. The the deep, mysterious sea into which all rivers flow and all karmas are collected and a bunch of cosmic debris.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's the graveyard and the cradle at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting that it's opposite to Virgo, because, you know, Virgo really likes things in compartments, <laughs> in little boxes. And, and, and
1: Pisces has all the d- dissolving of boundaries that there can be. Yeah. What box? <laughs> right. Yeah. They're uh, considered old souls for that reason, you know, mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. spiritual, sensitive. Artists and writers and poets. Yeah. Not materialistic. Um. Creatives, they can be drifters and dreamers, if yeah. you know, and take the paths of least resistance.
0: Yeah, at times.
1: Their mm-hmm. goal, really, their highest, you know, goal is to serve mankind selflessly. It's the whole Virgo Pisces serve and suffer, serve or suffer, <laughs> serve and suffer, however you want to look at it. Um, axis. And, yeah uh, with Pisces it's often associated you know the the whole with the twelfth house thing of self undoing mm-hmm. for in both good and bad uh ways you know self undoing can mm-hmm. obviously be bad, you know um uh, mm-hmm. you know doing a bunch of drugs and or whatever or self undoing can be enlightenment, yeah you no know, self here we are in Pisces, we're the most mutable of the mutable signs in a way, yes. you know it's the slippery fish, it's you know. It,
0: and you the water you can't fish you can't contain yeah
1: the the fish does not want to be defined um they they like their stuff to be secret
0: yes yes and there's a you know when you say self undoing there's also you know quality of escape it literally comes escapism, from an escape yeah, myth that's
1: one of the negative expressions would be escapism and and self pity uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in in pisces like uh martyrdom or um things like that but you know in the highest sense they're you know servants of good the social good they you know they're they're mm-hmm. good social workers that anything that serves mankind you know whether it's Einstein he was a pisces you mm. know his discoveries to help mankind or whether you're just serving quietly in some more mundane profession or you know the Speaking of professions, I think Pisces really excels, not just in um, arts, you know, and, and music, but also in uh, TV, radio.
0: Yeah. So,
1: you know, anything to do with the public and PR and that um, unconscious perceptions mm-hmm. that we have, you know, spinners of dreams. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, there's
0: definitely something about the emotional imagination in here. We talked about kind of the innovative imagination in Aquarius, but this is something about, you know, really being able to just dissolve into different versions of fantasy or the truth or, you know, or being able to take on another character the way an, an actor does.
1: Yeah, that's a very Neptunian profession to to be able to turn into someone else convincing yeah
0: yeah not necessarily being glued to one identity Mm. you know but being able to take on anyone or anything is a chameleon like quality
1: Yeah, chameleon. That's a that's a key word that I think of for Pisces. They definitely Mm -hmm. have that. They're you know, it's another cliche, but they're often called psychic sponges. You know.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. That's something I really do experience as Pisces rising, and thank God I have it because otherwise I'd be you know
1: commanders (laughs) back all
0: all over. But you know, it's something that I totally empathize with the the Pisces. I guess it's almost the pathology of taking on the emotions of others and you know and, yeah they're
1: definite empaths um yeah often it's mediumistic even yeah and the, interesting it's good that you have pisces along with your virgo because it's interesting like i read something about pisces well both virgo and pisces will like serve like the sick or the weak like you know but the difference is is that virgo will kind of judge those that are weak <laughs> and feel that right. they're kind of undeserving or they deserve what right. they get whereas pisces has no such judgment and just has the compassion for their suffering. Yeah. I mean, for me, it's
0: sort of like, you know, with the Pisces, Pisces is what, you know, really enables me to do readings. I mean, going into that place with the person and being there just fully present for however long, but then I, you know, the Mm. Virgo side of me just has to leave and put it away. (laughs) And um, I can't, I can't just stay in that sort of open service space, you know, indefinitely, like some Pisces can, I have to shut it down and Go eat something. <laughs> Take care yeah, of myself, yeah. you know. <laughs> yep. there's a you know a childlike wonder and curiosity too. I think to Pisces, mm-hmm.
1: I yeah, think, there's which a I romance, really appreciate. Romantic nature, mm-hmm. um, but you know every single because they're there at the, the end of all things.
0: Mm-hmm. You know
1: that that dustbin or theoretically they've collected every single type of human experience that can be experienced and therefore they're compassionate for all of it you know
0: yes sometimes uh sort of the line between reality and fantasy can get very blurry
1: definite rose-colored inner world
0: it reminds me of the way at the edges of maps that used to be here be dragons you know it's sort of like at the edge of the known it sort of fades into the mythic
1: there's a really good quote that i wrote down from uh Shakespeare, that I think is really good for Pisces, that one that goes, there is a tide in the affairs of men, which taken at the flood, lead on to fortune, omitted all the voyage of their life is bound in the shallows and in the miseries. Oh, that's perfect for Pisces.
0: Yeah. Tides in the shallows. There's an ability to kind of take in anything that people want to share with them, you know? Yeah. Yeah.
1: They're really good listeners, really compassionate, you know, empathic, Mm -hmm. Mm non-judgmental listeners. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. That whole two fishes thing, you know, it's also symbolic of kind of the finite consciousness of a person, of mankind, versus like this universal cosmic consciousness, Mm -hmm. you know. And it's also interesting, too, like look at where Pisces is in the zodiacal sequence. You've got Aquarius or others on one side and you've got the self or Aries on the other side. And somewhere in between mm. that Pisces has to fit it. <laughs> you know? Yes.
0: Somewhere between I know and I am is I believe, which I believe. Yes. is Yes.
1: I, guess, I believe. Yeah. yeah. yeah that's mm-hmm. their motto. And that really speaks to their, you know, faith and transcendence being a Piscean theme. Yeah, it's interesting how you know knowledge in Aquarius
0: kind of gives way to belief in Pisces. I mean, they are related, but it's almost as if Pisces has you know, has transcended beyond that need to um, to actually know, and that only out of that sort of disappearance of the need to know arises the self again with Aries. You know, as I am, I believe turns into I am, which is Mm. amazing to me. You know, the idea that that there's this sort of disappearance of fact, (laughs) you know, out of which new life arises, (laughs) the disappearance of the old and the reappearance of the new. So the moon, I guess we should talk about the moon. The moon card. Yeah. Yeah, the moon card. Exactly which is confusingly associated with Pisces instead of the high priestess. But it really makes sense if you look at it. I mean, between the the waters of the moon and the uncertainty and the darkness, it makes a great deal of sense to me that this is the sort of last in our sequence of, of watery major arcana. We started with the chariot associated with cancer. We went on to death associated with Scorpio, and now we finish with the moon associated with Pisces. And, you know, to me, these are all associated with the hanged man, of course, you know, our Mm -hmm. stories of surrender and sacrifice, of transformation, uh, magical transformation, really. Mm -hmm. I think of the chariot as being the quest-like one when you set off on the quest, how to meet desire, how to venture into this quest for something that is secret and unknown that you then bargain for in Scorpio, in death, where you surrender your left eye or or your ego or whatever it is in order to receive the precious whatever it is and rise transformed in the moon, the moon representing the altered self or the altered consciousness, whatever it is that you were looking for on the other side. Joining with the force. <laughs> the moon, it's interesting to think about the temperance or art card and the moon as two aspects of Jupiter, you know, the Wheel of Fortune. Mm. I mean, the Wheel of Fortune creates both aspirational qualities, the way temperance does that sort of middle path, striving for the target, shooting the arrow you know, both of them as being mutable signs, but the moon really fluctuates, literally is the Lord of Flux and Reflux. And it represents to me the changeableness of the wheel, you know, as opposed to its, its forward looking hopeful qualities, which I associate more with the Sagittarius side Mm. of Jupiter. That makes sense. Yeah. You know, one thing that's so interesting about the moon is the way that it Has been sort of a repository, you know, like you say, the dustbin, but a repository for a lot of negative projection, especially in sort of a Christian context or a patriarchal context. The idea that it's, you know, the negative feminine, the devouring, sort of
1: impure. To be feared, yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah. And, you know, even Waite said, he said he thought that the sort of what was rising from the deep was, you know, represented by that crawfish or or lobster. You know, these were the natural fears of the mind in the presence of the exit to the unknown, the sort of pillars that we see there. He called the, the thing crawling out of the deep a nameless and hideous tendency. So, you know, they would sort of, in these early versions of the moon, put a sort of like crawfish or lobster figure in there that was... A reference really to the moon's rulership of cancer, you know, sometimes you see a crab in there instead. But to me, this is like the fear of that creepy crawly thing coming out of the water is the opposite of what Jung would call, you know, turning a friendly face to the unconscious. And it just speaks to an attitude that was uh, much more terrified of what lies beneath the water in our psyche Than Mm. I think we think of as moderns, maybe. You know, and I think also we certainly see that in Crowley's interpretation of the moon. But he also says, he talks about the terrors that assail the mind, but he also says whatever terrors may assail the mind, the answer is the same. How splendid is the adventure.
1: Yes, indeed. You know,
0: which is, to me, an embrace of the dream, an embrace of the unknown. You know, whatever it throws at you, there is a way of looking at it that, embraces rather than is frightened of it rather than rejecting it. And I think that that in a way is the function of dream as represented by the moon, the the ability to face your fears and work them out somewhere underneath your conscious mind. Right. In some altered state. Yeah. Yeah. Whether it is dream or some place that you, you know, took a pharmacon to get to. <laughs> right. Get on the pharmacon train.
1: And there's also something about the card that is seeing or hopefully seeing the illusion of reality you know Mm -hmm. what's behind the curtain
0: (laughs) yeah yeah definitely you know it's the recognition that there is a curtain there is a you know there is a definite portal a gateway which is represented by those two pillars both in the I think Crowley calls it the gateway of Mm -hmm. resurrection that makes sense that makes sense and it's also you know it's a it's a very lunar theme, right? I mean, in the sense that we see it also in the High Priestess, you know, the veil of the High
1: Priestess. This is a different version of that in a way. There's also the, um, you know, the Kefra beetle in Crowley's card, which is, yeah. you know, at its midnight station. Um, mm-hmm. Kefra in his silence in the in the solar adorations, you know, the Libra Resh. But that's the, the, the midnight phase where the sun is is underneath in the below, <laughs> as far
0: away from his zenith as he can be. Yeah, his nadir.
1: I think uh, Crowley says in somewhere in the back of, um, in the back of the book of Thoth he has all these you know po- poems for each card, and uh, the one for the moon says, "Let the illusion of the world pass over thee unheeded as thou goest from the midnight to the morning."
0: I like that. Oh, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. So there is that moment of, of silence. Um, where all the chatter just sort of fades away. I mean, so there is that sort of like moment of silence, uncertainty and constancy, you know, impurity that that seems in some ways quite negative. But there's also, you know, the moon as the source of all fertility, the source of all magic. You know, even mm-hmm. the the Renaissance and medieval magicians believed that all magic travels through the moon. You know, it translates the influence of the stars and the planets down Mm -hmm. to Earth. We're in the sublunar realm, they would say. And that's something that we can also see on the Tree of Life. You know, the, the Yesod is the sphere of the moon, also is that sort of translation point where everything has to pass through before being Mm. brought to
1: earth so magic mirror (laughs) yeah yeah and that's why
0: through (laughs) that's why when we do any kind of magical working you know if we take into account the electional astrology the moon has to be in good condition it's the
1: fastest yeah because in horary astrology even the moon represents the querent you know the questioner
0: yeah yeah (laughs) I almost think of it as the filter of human experience in the sense that like... The filter of cosmic debris. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yes. I mean, it's like the stars themselves are neither negative or positive. You know, the planets themselves are neither negative or positive, but we experience them that way, right? There's a subjectivity. There's sort of like, you know, Saturn's not trying to kick your ass kind of a thing, but Mm. it's the moon that is the lens through which Mm. we receive things that makes them feel either negative or positive is one one way to think about it. It's sort of like that which translates things into human terms. So, if Mars is scoring something <laughs> in your chart, it's not personal. <laughs> it's not trying to cause accidents, but perhaps the moon is the, you know, sort of lens of human emotion that that makes us um, yeah. terrorized and freaking out. The senses. Yeah. Yeah, the senses exactly. Exactly, the door to the senses, the doors of perception. Yeah, yep, yeah, and it's also for that reason, you know, perception, image, public image, glamour, all of that's associated with the moon. With the moon, yeah, mm-hmm. all of the things that are not true in the profound sense, but kind of make up a complex of human truths that we have to uh, contend with, I guess. Mm. An appearance. When I'm thinking about. Magic, you know, I do think about the Hanged Man as kind of a shorthand for magic. And it's almost like with the sequence of the chariot, death, and the moon, it's almost like a magical working. I think of it as going in the place where things are neither good nor bad. And then coming back out and trying to make them manifest as what I would call good in my life, Mm. you know, and that's a, that's a lunar thing. The um, let's filter it through this lens and, and make it subjectively good for me. So this is a letter Kuf, (laughs) the back of the head. (laughs) So appropriate. So appropriate. So especially we have to talk about it in, in contrast to Resh as well. You know, yeah. Resh being the front of the head associated with the sun, Kof being the back of the head associated with the moon. And back of the head is only one translation for it, but it's also might be translated as, you know, monkey. But either way, it's this... <laughs> like uh, monkey mind. Yeah, animalistic sense. This sort of like that part of your head, like in your um, moon card in Tabula Mundi, that window in the back of the head that, you know, has access to all the crazy crap.
1: <laughs> all the dreams, all the hallucinations, uh, all the, the
0: trances. Yes, yes. Yeah. All the things that our rational mind is not really equipped to handle. You know, letter cuff is considered different in the Hebrew alphabet because it has that sort of like, you know, back of the head shaped curve, but then the leg that extends below the baseline um, on mm, which you draw like the other letters. The subconscious exactly, exactly. And for that reason, sometimes people consider it unholy as opposed to hay, which is considered the most holy. So it's like, it's, they're similar in... Form in some ways in terms of the strokes that you take to make them but Kuf is considered you know the one that's the first letter in Klippot for example um, the shells of the Sephirot and it's a, just a connection to the lower world so one of the aspects of Kuf is the idea that it sort of mediates this the idea of outside and inside removing the husk to get to the truth within You know, that husk being the the imagination, the unreality, the sort of like illusions of Maya, I guess you might say. Um, And that, to me, makes sense with that path from Netzach to Malkut. Malkut being the, you know, the real world that we live on, live in. And And on. (laughs) And on, and on. And Netzach being the, you know, sort of divine, direct, download, passionate, you know, Venus world thing. Feelings. Yeah, and here's something kind of interesting, which I didn't know till today, which is that the number of Cuff is 19, and there's a solely lunar cycle of 19 years, you know, which is interesting. They have that relationship.
1: And the letter, simple letter meaning is sleep, which I think is also really cool because sleep, you know, the place of dreams.
0: (laughs) Yes, exactly. Who watches over us while we sleep? The moon does. Okay, so the Eight of Cups, the Nine of Cups, and the Ten of Cups. Um, there's so many different Eight, Nines, and Tens we consider the ending of cycles, but this is one that we can consider in that way. I mean, the Eight, Nine, and Ten are the last in the Zodiac sequence anyway, of the Eight, Nine, and Ten of Cups, whereas the Eight, Nine, and Ten of Disks would be the bottom of the tree, you know, a tree of life. That's another way to think of it, Eight, Nine, and Ten of uh, wands would represent coming to the end of the light cycle, where the light begins to lengthen again in the northern hemisphere. And the 8, 9, and 10 of swords is, you know, that last moment before the summer solstice, which was considered a new year in some cultures. Anyway, so this 8, 9, and 10 is the end of the zodiacal cycle before Aries takes over again. And in it, we see some pretty, you know, we were talking about fantasy and imagination. There's some wild stuff in here. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, yep. like the first one is, is uh, a man with two bodies uh, or a man carrying burdens on his shoulder, which actually seems to accord pretty well with the rider weight smith um, image of a, a guy walking away. And it's actually associated that first second with journeys and change of place, seeking wealth, humility and then the the 9 is a man with his head upside down uh from with a tray from which food has been eaten <laughs> again that sort of echoes of the hangman
1: right so the the eight with the burdens—that sounds like Saturn. The decanic yeah, calendar. for sure. The, you for know, sure. and then the the food on the tray in the next one sounds okay. The excesses <laughs> yeah. of Jupiter, Jupiter. You know? Yeah,
0: and it and then and the nine is you know a pretty positive signification for decanic work too. It says great rewards, strong will, and things of high seriousness, thoughtfulness. You know, so there's that sort of like higher uh, mission of Jupiter. Kind of thing. That, going and that on. whole
1: thing about him being upside down is very hang, hanged man. Uh, exactly. Ish.
0: <laughs> and the Nine of Cups, especially, we've got Jupiter in Deccan rulership and in sign rulership. So it is yep. a, the most Jupiterian card, I guess you could say. Then the Ten of Cups, this is where things go really off the rails. <laughs> You've got. You know, either the sad man full of evil thoughts. Oh no, it's that one. It's that one, yeah. (laughs) Sad man full of evil thoughts or our favorite, the naked man or youth and the maid adorned with
1: flowers, Uh, the one with the donkey, I think, the woman with the donkey. Yeah, that's the Picatrix. Yeah. The man thinking evil thoughts is before before him is a woman with a donkey climbing atop her. Yeah. And in her hand is a bird.
0: And in her hand is a bird. Nice detail. Yeah. Infamous. Yeah, bush. yeah. The reason we don't use Libertis Stars Eternal is it Tarot of yeah. Stars Eternal. The reason yeah. we don't use that one with clients, <laughs> you know. And th- it is Mars, you know. I mean, and it's it's a it's a card. They say of you know fornication or lying with women with great appetite, but also of quiet and seeking rest. Which to me, you know, they kind of go together. <laughs> so yeah. you know, there's a very you know over the top. Fall of Rome feeling to it, you know, the real debauchery feel to it, but yeah. also a just let's go to sleep kind of a thing. You know, after the party, after the orgy, yeah. let's just go to sleep. The end. <laughs> There's something about this sequence, I think, that you know, sort of just really wraps things up. I mean, the Saturn, as you said, the burdens, but also kind of leaving the walls behind kind of quality, and that escapism quality to it. Also, I mean, it's a a stringent card in some ways, the Eight of Cups, where you're in the situation where you just have to leave. I mean, that whole image in the Eight of Cups reminds me a great deal of the myth of Pisces, where You know, they have to escape from Typhon kind of thing. Um, There's
1: different types of um, escapism going on in both the 8 and the
0: 10. Yes, exactly. And then the 9, I really think of, you know, uh, it reminds me of the dogs barking at the moon in the sense that there's a a longing about it. There's a, you know, in, in musicals, they always say there's an I want song to me. The Nine of Cups is like the I want song in a musical, mm-hmm. you know, the, the the expression of desire, the expression of longing, the magical act that brings the thing down that you want. In the Ten, there's something that Waite said, there's a cardamantic meaning to the Ten of Cups that's old called the, um, the town inhabited by the Inquirer. So there's like that image in the, Rider-Waite-Smith, ten of cups of a little tiny house there. And there's a real feeling to me in that final decan of just coming home, you know, coming home Mm. to rest, uh, which is a metaphor for death as well. But where you're done with your labors and you get to go home. It also reminds me a little bit, it's associated with Mars and the tower. One reading of that we've talked about is an act of divine grace that, shatters everything so you can restart and to me that is the sort of destructive aspect of the 10 it's like breaking down the resources for the last step in order to be born again in the two of wands Maybe we can try and do court cards since we just talked decans maybe we can do that now the King of Cups is the Eight and Nine of Cups. That's interesting. I mean, I think of him, the King or Knight of Cups, as being a spiritual leader. We talked about that. Yeah, I always that.
1: think of him as like the Knight on the Grail quest. <laughs> hmm. Hmm.
0: Yeah. yeah, a vehicle of will, I think is what, I think that's in Liber Theta. And they talk about in Liber Theta the idea of the Eight of Cups and Nine of Cups as soullessness versus soul enrichment
1: you know mm. kind
0: of going back and forth between the two there's something about that here there is a mystical mission that the king of cups is on and yeah I, a philanthropic mission even yes there's a goodwill towards men kind of thing going on with him but also the you know 7 of swords shadow deck and as a place where that goodwill can be scattered fall apart and then we've talked about the Ten of Cups as the dissolution of the Queen of Wands um, in her shadow aspect, you know, the sort of desire to surrender thing. But also, you know, she's generally so motivated to to dominate and succeed. It's sort of like, you know, when we when we've I think we probably talked about this in her episode where you'll have a a really incredibly successful, you know, ambitious, dominating person who has this side Where they just need to submit.
1: Yeah, that secret desire to surrender and and be able to rest and surrender. Right,
0: right. And just balance that side of them out. Here's a good place to start talking about myth. We talked a little bit about the myth of Pisces of Aphrodite and Eris or Venus and Cupid.
1: Yeah, so yeah, it was another one of those let's, we need to escape Typhon thing. Um, (laughs) So let's turn ourselves into fishes and uh, jump into the Nile. But because, you know, Cupid was Aphrodite's son, she didn't want to lose track of the little guy and attached (laughs) him to her with a cord. Yeah, uh, I love that. That cord is the that line, that horizontal line between the two fishes tying them together. In the uh, constellation, that cord is kind of like a V shape, and at the apex of it is probably the only real named or, or well-known star in the constellation, which is uh, it's a double star, which is appropriate for two fishes, I guess. And uh, but it's yeah. uh, called El Resha, which literally means the cord, mm. and uh, it's considered the knot in the cord that that connects the two fishes, oh, the northern fish and the southern fish.
0: That's beautiful. I mean I I love the idea that, you know, the Pisces myth, even though it's ruled by Jupiter, is based on a Venus story,
1: you know? Yeah, the exaltation of Venus. The exaltation Pisces, yeah.
0: Yeah. And Agrippa has a working you can do when Venus is ascending in Pisces where a woman woman has a head of a bird, you know, like you do <laughs> feet of an eagle, which is seems pretty Jupiterian. And then she has a dart in her hand because all of these magical figures sort of throw darts to direct their magic. Uh, and this is for favor and benevolence. So it's sort of a, a general, you know, uh, harvesting the, the good wishes of the benefics to your benefit
1: what about anubis let's talk about anubis since yeah he's, you know um, on the moon card it's interesting because under the correspondences in 777 it doesn't say anubis it says a oh, So here it's the two it's anubis in his double form which you obviously see on the uh, Thoth card but anubis mm-hmm. in his double form as the kind of watcher of the ways you know the, the watcher or Guardian of the East and the Guardian or watcher of the West that way that guardian what what they're guarding is the area between consciousness and uh unconsciousness yeah that portal
0: yeah, the psychopomp function of Anubis um yeah. Which could both, as you say, sort of mediate between consciousness and unconsciousness, but also the living and the dead. And the
1: dead, yeah. yeah. And that judgment, you know, the, the mm-hmm. whole idea of the judging and weighing of the, the soul. <laughs> right. It's, it's
0: Anubis who um, helps out with that, right? Yeah.
1: And he also is the embalmer,
0: um, the, one, the embalmer yep. of Osiris. The
1: mummifier.
0: Yep. And the protector of the dead, really. I mean, he's associated with graveyards um, for that reason. I mean, what
1: happens when you die? Your body, well, if it's not mummified or embalmed anyway, the body dissolves away and uh, yeah. what yeah. is left? You know, yeah. the soul, I guess.
0: Yeah, the, the jackal-headed god who protects the graveyard. You know, I like to think about this story of the Eight, Nine, and Ten of Cups as being a bit of the Noah's Ark myth, you know, I mean, the great flood, obviously with the eight of cups and having to find a, a means of refuge to escape. And then the nine of cups, I often think of as the moment where Noah sends out, you know, the dove and the raven to see if things are okay. Mm -hmm. It's like, he's wishing and hoping. And then of course, when they do come to land on Mount Ararat, what does God do? Used to show that everything's, you know, copacetic now. <laughs> he puts down the rainbow, you know, the right. covenant of the rainbow. At least for now, a a temporary reconciliation. Yeah, and- the rainbow fades, yeah. fades away.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Dubai it's day. interesting in that story too, like if you look at the constellation how the waters of Aquarius are being poured into the mouth of the the fish, that's kind of like a metaphor for the salvation from the deluge, you know, the fish swallowing sure. all that water.
0: Yeah, for sure. I love that. That makes sense. And it's also, you know, this Saturn Jupiter Mars sequence. It's like Saturn the destructive divine and then Jupiter as the merciful divine. And then Mars as, you know, the regenerator, the um the fertile restart of things.
1: Let's see, you got anything else for myth? There's you know, Neptune.
0: Mm -hmm. the god
1: versus Neptune, the planet. But, yeah, we we pretty much covered the most relevant.
0: Oh, yeah, and it's worth saying also that, you know, these Neptune connections make a lot of sense because that is the modern association of the hanged man, you know, modern ruler of Pisces. They kind of go together that way.
1: Colors? Okay, so the colors. uh, There's some pretty cool colors for the moon they're interesting anyway so the king scale color golden dawn king scale is crimson ultraviolet which that to me is really interesting because it's the last color on the spectrum just like mm-hmm. pisces is the last sign yeah um, it's where it comes you know it starts at red and it comes back around to this red <laughs> violet yeah And then it starts over again, you know, so that's really cool. And then the rest of the colors all kind of, to me, are like the colors of the surface of the moon, like you would think lunar rock. So there's a buff flecked silver white, which sounds very lunar rock-ish. Light Mm -hmm. translucent pinkish brown, which kind of is like is the color of the moon when it's kind of reddish. And then stone color.
0: Yes, yes. Really interesting colors, actually. You know, um, it's hard to think of the moon
1: as having a color, but they're very mixed in a way. It's almost like the colors that you would see when everything's washed out under moonlight, you know? Ooh, I like that. That makes a lot of sense. Right. Yeah. Shadowy colors. I also think in general, generally speaking outside of the scales, of colors of the moon as being white and black. Yes. The phases, yes. you know, the full phase of full of light, white, and then the dark of the moon, black.
0: You know what these colors remind me of? They remind me of like, if you go to the beach and, you know, and you see old empty crustacean shells around that have yeah. been bleached yep. by the sun. Yep. That makes a lot of sense to me. Dead crabs. Dead crabs. Yeah. <laughs> So let's see, other correspondences. We've, oh, you said the magic mirror being the magical weapons. What's the twilight of the place?
1: Well, you know, we know what twilight is. It's that yeah. between that, that that magical between time. Yeah. Twilight. It's neither dark nor light. It's 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 a liminal place. Now, yeah. what is the place? That is the question. <laughs> right, right. And
0: how is it a weapon? <laughs> but right. I I can see that because sometimes they use atmospheric sort of elements as magical weapons in this. Right. Sort Just of the notion. liminality
1: of it. Any place that is at the edge of something, whether it's at the edge of day and night or at the edge of. Forest and field is said to be a magical place,
0: right? And that's you know sacred to Anubis, sacred to Hecate. Yeah, guardian
1: of portals. Both of
0: those being associated with the moon. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Also, magical powers of bewitchments and casting illusions, casting yep. illusions, casting yes. illusions and
1: bewitchments.
0: Yeah, very magical ambergris and all narcotics associated with the moon. Yeah, so ambergris, again, that's a uh, whale, yeah.
1: whale kind of whale puke, I guess. Yeah, I guess that's the best way to put but it. I it smells I mean, it really is, good. Yeah,
0: it's been aged by the sea for, you know, decades,
1: just floating around there. Yeah, it's, um, it, they call it amber because it kind of looks like that. I have a piece of it. Do you really? I want to smell that yeah. sometime. Yeah. It does it's, smell really good. It's very, like, delicate, but... It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's interesting
0: Yeah, it's like the undigested bits of cuttlefish <laughs> That have been like you Something know, like that Yeah, that the whale's stomach doesn't, you know, can't hold anymore So they expel it out I don't know whether it comes out the front end or the back end
1: Think the front
0: mm-hmm. and, uh, That's and it what I've heard
1: around, And then it, it floats around on top of the sea with the sun beating on it till it washes up somewhere Yeah and Somehow it gets transformed to this magical elixir
0: associated with the feet and and the tendons i've seen the toenails as well pisces is yeah, definitely
1: the feet. Yeah, definitely the feet. And then there's all the um the animals, the all the sea animals, the whales yeah. and the dolphins. Interestingly, I read somewhere that there's two types of Pisces: the whale type and the uh, dolphin type. Oh, that's like, interesting. The, yeah, the whale I see that. type are like the um really gentle teachers. They're usually larger in size, mm-hmm. body size than mm-hmm. than um the dolphin type which is usually a more fluid kind of artisty artsy creative kind of or mystic type you know interesting
0: let's see unicellular organisms interestingly on the other end oh like yeast yeah what you make wine <laughs> yeah, <with>. bubbles up <laughs> yep um oh and opium by the way with narcotics i should have put that in of course Something that um, causes sleep then we have pearls White clear stones, again, sort of like Aquarius. Moonstone, of course. And coral, because it's what grows under the sea, the coral. Sharp tastes, which is unexpected, kind of. Uh, Seaweed. Seaweed, (laughs) for sure, for sure. Then we have places, hermitages, so far away from everything. Uh, Riverbanks. Monasteries, yep. Yeah, seas and lakes, of course.
1: Um, I mean, if you're going to take the twelfth house theme, then that would be also institutions and yeah. hospitals and Jails. prisons.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> Although that's also a Capricorn thing, we see that yeah. as well with Saturn. And then the the plants are that are juicy and watery, like willows. Let love to. Just live yep, near water. Definitely
1: willows. I've got melons and mm-hmm. lettuces. Lettuce Figs. is interesting because not only is it juicy and watery, but it's got that soporific um, component. Oh yeah,
0: to it. yeah, the lactones. Yeah, and then hazel, which you use to find water.
1: Ah, yes, which the divination rod, witch hazel.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, we didn't do etching and geomancy. We got to do that. Oh, okay. Yep. So the I Ching is hexagram 54, gui mei, gui mei, which is the marrying maiden. Uh, It is, I guess, the fiery part of water, uh, you know, the thunder over dui water. You know, it's supposed to be, there's a rightness about it, an appropriateness about that because it says it's like, this is a very Confucian-like patriarchal thing where the elder son marries the younger daughter, the oldest marrying the youngest so he can tell her what to do <laughs> each in their place. But, you know, I mean, another way to look of it might be sort of in the Thelemic way of, you know, the young one awakening the eld
1: in a way. Yeah. Hmm. You know, I don't know. Um, but it's something, yeah, there's something there about like, piscean about adapting Mm -hmm. to a situation and and kind of transcending it
0: yeah yeah and also the sort of like the younger consort being able to be more resilient in the new situation i guess Uh, and then we have the geomantic figure lightitya or joy happiness health
1: which is supposed to be the shape of an arch or a rainbow.
0: Yeah, which is cool. Yeah,
1: yeah which is cool. Seems to echo
0: themes that we've seen, and,
1: and the idea that it's fortunate, you know, and that you. Miss yeah, on it, it definitely goes good with the, both the nine and the ten.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. It certainly does. I think, I think that's.
1: that's uh, I think we, we covered everything. At this point is
0: pretty good. All right, so themes of Pisces have been. Uh, so I believe the transformation or alteration of
1: consciousness. Serve mankind selflessly, transcendence.
0: <laughs> that just reminded me of that. That the cookbook sat- satirical cookbook. To yeah, serve, to serve man. man. <laughs> um, That's funny. Yeah, self undoing there. <laughs> yeah. uh, the The different aspects of the moon. The moon as sort of impure or uncertain or lunatic, but on the other hand, as magical and as that which you. Uh, fertile, that which you apply to for luck. Aspects of sort of escapism, illusion, and fantasy that go with Pisces. The
1: dustbin. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, the sea at the end of the world. Yep. Or the well at the end of the world also, you can say. Which all rivers flow. The chameleon aspect of Pisces. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm.
0: The graveyard and the cradle. The escaping fishes and the psychopomp Anubis. All right. Well, I guess with this, we come to the end of our zodiacal cycle. Thank you for taking this journey through the signs with us. It's It's been very interesting, I think. I've learned a lot doing this. And we're going to take a little bit of a break for a while, because we have a lot to do. <laughs> we have uh, the proofs of Tarot Deciphered, our new Fortune's Wheelhouse-based book, which is coming out in the spring. We have to finished that up. And we have kind of the end of the year coming up too. So we're going to take a hiatus. We'll be back. We'll be back. But for now, uh, just stay tuned. Uh, If you want to find out exactly when we'll be back with new episodes, be sure to check out our patron website, www.patreon.com slash fortunes wheelhouse, where you can also if you wish, sign up as a patron. Okay, well, have a wonderful end of 2020, everybody. (laughs) Thank God. Thank God. You know, never been so happy to see the back end of a year. And we will be back with you in the new year. See you then. And that's our show for today. You can find us at www.patreon.com slash fortunes wheelhouse, where you'll also find new episode announcements and loads of extra articles and visuals, which will help you follow along with the show. If you appreciate what Mel and I have done here at fortunes wheelhouse, please consider leaving us a five-star reviewer rating on iTunes, Apple podcasts, or Google play. And if you'd like to support the making of this podcast and gain access to all the member perks that come with that, please consider becoming a patron at any level you like by visiting www.patreon.com slash fortunes wheelhouse. You can also explore Fortune's Wheelhouse gear like t-shirts, tote bags, coffee mugs, and more by checking out our Redbubble shop. That's at www.redbubble.com people wheelhouse93 slash shop. Mel's beautiful books, decks, and prints can be found at tarotcart.com, and my book, Tarot Cases, Astrological Perfumes, and Online Tarot Class can be found at tsusanchang.com. Treat yourself to the tarot gift you've always wanted, because you are a hero of the astral plane, and we so appreciate your support.